Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is episode 42 of the basketball series. We are back to discuss more NBA, NBL, and the world of basketball. And just quickly, we just finished our Q&A on the call-in app. So a reminder, if you want to ask us some questions, we had everything from whether we're jersey collectors, the Ben Simmons situation, um, Rich Paul, whatever it is, we're happy to have some back and forth banter dialogue with you and um, get those questions answered. So make sure you download the call-in app, all one word. You can um, set up a profile on there and ask as many questions as you as you want. Some some weeks we have five, 10 people, sometimes more. So a few of our users have asked, you know, two or three questions within a question. So that's more than welcome. So check that out. Pro, what's what's going on? Bad porn too. Uh, we, we oh yes. found out about bad porn. Found I, out about I had bad no porn. idea. So if you want to find out yeah. about which NBA player has the nickname Bad Porn, that is porn with P-O-R-N, you need to jump on the call-in app and um, that's how I'm going to get you to spruik the app. But it's actually a hilarious story with who got that nickname and Pro actually read out the reason why, which was, uh, it fit well though, Pro, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. It was good. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Another day at the circus, my man. Another day at the circus. So, a lot going on this week, so we'll get started. I'm going to give some love to the Wizards, man. They're, they're first in the East right now. Uh, would you, I mean, what is going on, bro? They are first in the East. They are, they're meshing well. They, you know, they're not the most overly talented squad, but they, they have a good balance. They brought, brought over, obviously, Kuzma and... Um, Colwell Pope and Harold from the Lakers and they were part of you know a few of them were part of a championship run obviously with um, with LeBron uh, Harold wasn't but the other two were and I think they've brought a bit of steady leadership Beal's playing very well they have a good balanced roster pro I mean how have you found them so far you know I think when you have an NBA roster with good talent but not great talent of guys that sort of you know go hard at each other and work and you know not one not one player doesn't necessarily need the ball I mean they got Beal but they don't have a bunch of those guys. And Beal's sort of a little bit different sort of wiring. And, you know, they just go hard, man, and they play. And they got a good young coach, well, a good coach that's been around for a while and his first time being a head coach. And, yeah, they've been fun to watch. And I don't think anybody expected what they, they've been doing. So, you know, they're up 20 right now in the Orlando Magic. But, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a good ride for those guys so far. Yeah, you love these stories. This season, I think, is one of the, one of the real open seasons. I mean, it really is. There's there's a lot of teams that have a chance. You look at Brooklyn now losing Kyrie. That, that throws a spanner in the works. The Lakers are getting older. LeBron's injuries, that, that throws a spanner in the works. Philly with Ben, that obviously changes things for them. But you look at the West, got to give – Give my former club, the Golden State Warriors, they're on a seven-game win streak right now. They're 9-1 in their last 10. They, they are playing very, very, very well. And the big thing to ask is how much better can they get when one of the best two-way players in the game returns in December and Clay Thompson. And we've discussed this before, but the beauty of him returning is he's not going to have to return to a squad that's 5-5 five and five and feel like he has to play more than his rehab allows. Um, and that can happen sometimes where you, you're the star player, one of the star players. You're like, I need to, you know, instead of playing me 18, let me get 25. I'm, I'm competitive. I want to play. They can ease him through nicely, pro, where they don't have to over overplay him. They don't have to overtrain him. They can just kind of have that, that you know, that slowly going up so he's peaking very nicely by april or may for hopefully a championship run but but with him back in that lineup that's a that's a pretty scary squad oh for sure uh, i think we talked about it in the last week or two it just sort of you know they they mesh well together they move the ball you know you get steph you know steph playing at an unbelievable rate and you know draymond's averaging seven assists a game wiggins is still playing well so i mean they've, they're doing so well without the guy and you know, Wiseman, you know, I think Wiseman's a little bit overdone as far as like, 
you know, oh, we need Wiseman back, we need Wiseman back. He's a good player, but not a great one. But he'd be an added added bonus to have back. They're missing their rookie that might give him a couple minutes here and there. And then you put Clay Thompson in there. Like you said, it's a great point. You know, they don't need him to, to average 30 a game for them. They're not the Lakers where you need all three of those guys to yep. put up 30 a game for them 100%. to even be competitive. So, so yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch. Now their schedule hasn't been all that tough. Not not to put any you know not to put any distance of what they've been doing. What they've been doing and what they've been doing has been great. But like they are in a great situation right now in a position um, when when Clay comes back, Wiseman comes back, and sort of the game, the the, the ball they've been playing. It's uh pretty cool. Yeah, it is. And look, they did smack the Bulls at home um, yesterday, which was probably their, their, their biggest and best win of the, of the season so far. But yeah, you look at the, another team we spoke about last week who snuck into the 10, the Oklahoma City Thunder, bro. They have snuck into the 10. They're in a playing spot right now. They've won four straight. I, I don't think they're going to be there. I think they're still going to fall out, but uh, you know, we, we like the way they play, so I had to give them a shout out. One I've got a concern about, which we discussed last week, still lost six in a row. The Atlanta Hawks, man. What, what, what is going on? On there what are you seeing folks sometimes a team gets into a funk i mean you know Thibodeau actually did a great uh, deal in in his post-game uh press conference and we're asking about well at what point do you supposed to be sort of getting it and he goes well you know they say 20 games but fuck 20 games turns into 30 games and this is bullshit like you know like at what point you say well maybe in 20 games i always like to say 20 games but they're in a funk right now and Look, they won a great team before the playoffs last year and, you know, before they fired their coach and then they sort of got into a little bit of a run and then they made this huge run in the playoffs. And sometimes it's just a one-hit wonder. I don't think they're a one-hit wonder. They've got a good team. But, like, you know, Herders hasn't been playing well. Like, their role players haven't been playing well, which is strange. Um, I don't know. Like, they're not really guarding. They're not They're not really having the energy that they brought to the – to the table. I think in playoffs too, Bogues, you, you, you've been a part of stuff like this where you win a couple of games and then you get this like tidal wave of like, you know, confidence and everyone's gelling and everyone's playing loose. And then, you know, and then now you're off, you know, you get eliminated and then you're off and then you got to start fresh the next season. And sometimes that stuff wears off. And I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. They got all their players. It's not like yeah, they're missing the guys because of injury. They've missed, yeah. they had a few. Capella's missed a game or two here, but it's just concerning. They're four and nine, like you said. You factor at twenty games, but shit, if they're if they're you know six and you know fifteen in another couple of weeks, there's panic buttons there, and it just feels like they they, they think they they think they arrived, and they kind of did last season, but they didn't. They were solid, but. You know, they, they got lucky with, with a few of their a few of their playoff series, in my opinion. But you need luck along the way. You can't take that away from them. But two and eight in their last ten there. I just feel like they thought they were there. We were there, we're almost at a championship. And it's like, nah, you're not. That, that's that's more than a year's body of work, right? Yeah. And to their credit, and I'll give a little credit to their schedule. I mean, their last like seven or eight games, they had Denver, you know, Golden State, Denver, Utah, Phoenix, uh, Utah, you know, the Nets, Wizards, you know, Sixers. So they played some pretty tough teams, but still like that. And they're not getting totally blown out here. And again, they got to, they get, they, they need a stopgap. They need to stop this shit and be like, you know what? Like, if you, like to me, Bogues, right? If you're, a ch- if you're a high level team, not a championship level, but a high level team, you got to beat the teams below you. Probably you've got to win about 70 to 75% of your games below you. 
the teams within two below you and two ahead of you, you got to be about 55%. And then the top tier teams that are more than two teams above you, you got to at least be, you know, 45 to close to 500. You know, you got to be able to beat those teams. And, you know, you got to be able to say, you know what, like if you're a high level team, you got to take care of at least the teams below you. Like teams below you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be losing to. And they've lost to about every type of team you can lose to. And at some point, these guys got to stay. Look, if you want to be this good, you want to talk that talk like you're really fucking good, you got to start fucking putting your pants on, tying up your fucking shoes and kicking people's asses. And it hasn't happened. You're, they're, they're six in a row. That's tough, man. Yeah. And, and that's a, you got the formula right. I mean, most people, you know, if you win 75 to 80% of the games you're supposed to win, so teams that are let's say, not going to be playoff teams. And then all you need to do is go 500 against the top eight and you're, you're going to get a pretty good playoff spot. You're going to be in the middle somewhere. So that was always a goal for some teams that we were in the, in the middle was, hey, make sure we beat these teams. And you're going to have bad nights sometimes. Some guy gets hot or you've got a, a long road trip or the infamous Miami trip where guys are out all night. You, you know you're going to lose those. But for the most part, 70 or 80% of the games you're supposed to win, which means anyone below you. And then if you just go 500 with with rival teams that are going to be in the playoffs, you you, you have a pretty good um, position. But yeah, they've got time to salvage it. But you look at Phoenix, you know, they, they started off poorly. Um, they're eight and three right now, but I think they lost. They were five hundred the first first six odd games, and, and they've been eight and two since. So to your point, they've figured it out along the way. They've won seven straight. They're figuring it out. Um, Denver much of the same. You're kitchen it out of the lineup with the suspension. So yeah, I just think it's um, you just got to continue to 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 take the punches along the way. But as you said, the Thibodeau point is like, okay, how long? All right, it's only this first twenty games. Oh, we've we've had a tough schedule to this point. Oh, you know, we've had a guy injured, and then you're at All Star break thinking, shit, we're in tank mode. You know, so. <laughs> you gotta you gotta really um really be cognizant of not getting too far behind the eight ball because i've been part of those situations and they're not fun but uh we'll move on to the housekeeping stuff so look we said we weren't going to talk about it anymore but it's come up again the ben simmons thing interesting quote from ben simmons ben simmons believes the 76ers fines are worsening his mental health that's a tough one, pro. I, I don't, I don't like getting too much into this because you don't, you don't really know the situation. But the fact that the mental health's come up halfway through this season isn't the best thing, and you're going to have. Whether you agree or not, you're going to have people saying, I don't believe it. I think it's a tactic used to get him out of there. Are the fines really worsening your mental health? I don't think so because Philly would have some sort of um, requirement that they have as a bare minimum around mental health stuff where you probably need to meet with their psychologist and reportedly they did that. He, he wasn't showing up for the appointments, hence the fines. But just we're just drawing this bow out so far just continuing how how have you seen those comments and is it a is it you know do you see this as a strategic play to just get some heat off ben because as we know you need to treat it delicately if it is a mental health play or do you see this as you know i guess the question for you would be Ben gets traded next week to Golden State is his mental health gone and is he suiting up i think it'll it'll be miraculously recovered <laughs> if he goes to another team if he goes to Golden State, if he goes to Portland, if he goes to, you know, some of these other teams as he's been talked about. And, and and that's just, look, it's all about leverage. This NBA, in every category of the NBA, it's about having leverage. And the, he's trying to get as much leverage as he can. Look, he's lost a lot of face around the league as far as quitting on teams, not being able to deal with adversity. Um, one of those talented guys, but has sort of underachieved in some in some capacity throughout his career, especially when adversity hits. And now they're trying to turn the tables the best they can. Look, I don't I never complained 
about even when I was with a team and a, and a player left for free agency for more money, I never really complained when the team fucked a player. You know, it's it's both teams fucked themselves. Like they fucked the other side and it's just, it goes like you pl- put up your chips. If you're good enough, you have this leverage. You can, you could, you, you'll be fine. If you're a team that's a big time team and, and have options and you could dump a player that you've, been, you've had around for eight years and, you know, either underwrite his contract or under, under, you know, fucking lowball him or get rid of him for nothing. That's what they do. That's what teams do. Players do that, teams do that, and you deal with it. I think both sides fucked this up royally. I think that they could have dealt with this a lot better. They could have been a lot mature about this and professional about it. And I think both sides fucked it up. And it's it's going to fuck both, both sides up. For him, I think a lot of teams are stepping away from him because of the fact they're afraid to deal with him. And I think, uh, you know, on the... You know, on the team side, they they're doing okay without him, but they need a player at the end of the day to really because at what point does Embiid start fucking you know start not wanting to be there? You know, start you know what this is fucking I had enough. Like they need to solidify their roster going forward because if they don't get a player and then they get you know and this thing goes all season or whatever it goes and they go one round and out or two rounds and out. And then when B starts getting, you know, you know what? Get me the fuck out of here too. Now their whole team's fucked because they got nice players, but you know they got they got, they're probably like a, a seven, eight, nine seed without those two guys, maybe a ten seed. So right now they got to right the ship. You got to deal this kid. You're not gonna up their value because that kid doesn't want to be there. They don't want him there. So it's not like you're gonna up their value if he plays. So you got to get a player that's going to re- like you could put with Embiid and those rest of those other guys and go forward with because this is this is getting out of hand. It is, it is, and it's just just continuing to get ugly. Look, apocalypse might hit pro, but I'm going to somewhat agree with Rich Paul on a comment that he made. Now this doesn't happen often for me, but I I, I have to give credit for this comment. So he he is it's probably not the right parallel, but he makes a small point here. He he he's been talking about um, John Corn, John John Wall, which is also another one of his clients. Johnny's able to play, but the Houston Rockets are okay using the collective bargaining agreement to pay him not to play. So which way is it? Johnny's perfectly healthy and ready to play, and it's okay in the CBA. We are being professional with both instances, but how can it go both ways? John and the Rockets have been professional about the situation, and we are also expecting the same with the 76ers. Now, it is apples and oranges to an extent, Pro, but I guess the point then that comes into play is if you're John Wall towards the end of your career, you need to play to up your value. You need to play for whatever reason. You're in the last year of a big deal, second last year, whatever your circumstances, you're making 20, 25 million. Team says, hey, we're developing our young guys. We don't want to play you. Nothing against you, but we want to sit you. That can be detrimental to your career, arguably, right? So there is a little bit of hypocrisy in it, and I agree with Rich Paul to an extent, but I still believe that Ben, you know, show up to training, do the bare minimum they ask of you as hard as you can, and then like like we've said many times, you don't need to sit around and eat popcorn with the guys if you don't want to be there. But there is a bit of a correlation to these two instances where teams can get away with just saying, we'll pay you not to play. But then all of a sudden you've got a player that you know wants out and 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 it's bad chemistry wise and they're like you need to play to boost your trade value so a little bit of a little bit of hypocrisy pro or not? Well, with John Wall, first of all, he's at forty four million and forty seven next year, so he's owed ninety million and he's made his bet. You know, the last few years he's been hard to deal with. He's had instances off the court. You know. You know, flashing gang signs, saying stupid stuff, you know, getting hurt, obviously with career, 
you know, career injuries that were sort of derailed him for a few years. And now he gets to a situation where they're rebuilding and they've got all these young guys that he just doesn't fit. This has happened before. Maybe not with guys with contracts like his, but it's a little bit different. Look, even though there's a lot of shit talked about Ben Simmons, they wanted him back. Let's be honest. I mean, he shit the bed in the fucking playoffs. He did not perform well. And yeah, they probably they probably should have shut their mouths and not said anything. Doc probably shouldn't have said what he said after the game and, and doing all this stuff. They just let it go. And then he would have been fine to come back. There's not going to be a problem. But like both sides just handle this so fucking badly where, yes, they're, he, they're in a situation where they need him and they want him. Houston, they don't really need or want John Wall, but no other team wants him either. Nobody wants to pay him $90 million. What's he going to do? Be a good, you know, he's going to be like an influence on your young guys. He's going to be a great influence. Probably not. And, you know, you just like nobody really wants to have John Wall unless he's like mid-level exception or five or six million dollars. No one's paying John Wall 40 plus million to play. Ben Simmons had really good value. Not great value. Got diminished a little bit with the playoff stuff. But if they just shut their mouths. And just like let the offseason happen, let it simmer down, and then address the shooting thing maybe behind closed doors. But look, they made their bet a long time ago. All the way back to Brett Brown when they let when Brett let these guys do whatever the fuck they wanted, and they ended up being these huge problems. You know, instead of like treating these guys like pros and holding them accountable. And and again, you're never gonna hold a, an NBA superstar account accountable to a full extent, but at least respect the process of being a pro. And it's just, like I said, from both sides, this whole thing has been fucked for a while. And now, look, there's nothing Rich Paul is going to say that to teams that are going to believe him as far as like, you know what? Yeah, this is totally like the wrong story. Ben Simmons is this dedicated guy, great teammate, winning player, blah, blah, blah. You know, but no one's ever going to say that Philadelphia handled this well either. They're both fucked. They just got to move on from both parties. And I don't believe either side. Like, either side, like, I, I'm, I'm not invested in the Philly. I'm not invested in fucking Ben Simmons. I just want it to go away. I'm tired of hearing about it. And, you know, we just got to move on, man. So my question then, so do you think it's fair that NBA teams can say to someone, let's say John John Wall was a different player that's been the best behaved guy of all time and about any issues. And they say, look, you're a veteran guy. You got two years, 80 million left. We don't want to play you. We want to develop our young guys because we're going to be shitty anyway. So you're just taking development away from your young guy. We're going to sit you, but we're going to pay you. So then the counter argument is why can't a player then say, hey, I don't want to be here. Trade, pay me in, until you trade me. I mean, they are two opposites, but that's kind of the point that Rich Paul's trying to make. Why, why is there a difference in the two? Yeah, uh, I agree. The problem sometimes when this stuff changes overnight, when like when these teams go really young, like with Philly, they're not going young. They're good. They're trying to win. Where Houston's trying to develop their young guys. And are you gonna play John Wall coming off the bench? Are you gonna play John Wall fifteen minutes and he's gonna be a you know he's gonna be happy about that? I would probably buy. I would buy him out. You know they're probably waiting until like that last season expiring contract traded deadline team takes you know only has to pay him like 20 out of his 47 million and then go forward with that they're probably waiting for that it's not fair for the player but again folks it's all about like look you sign this contract regardless if you're going to play or not like you sign this big deal it is what it is at the time you're not thinking this is going to happen 
But look, they're paying you. They're contractually, they're doing what they're supposed to do. It's not great. It's not cool. There, there might need to be like some league precedent set where if they're not going to play him, but like they do the same thing for an 11th man or 12th man. It is what it is. Like, like, look, you sign this contract. They can do whatever they want to you. They could play you. They could run plays to you. They could not play you. Like, they could do whatever they want. It is what it is. They hold you a little bit of hostage. Like, like, like the players hold the teams hostage, you know, in small markets and, you know, in leave for free agency. It's this, it's a little bit the same, but not. But like, what are you going to do, folks? Like, they give you this money. They're paying you. It's not like, it's not like a, it's a Turkish team not fucking paying you for three months, you know, in the Euroleague. This is like, they're paying you. They're doing everything they need to do. But like, it's not their fault that they're going young and you're an older player that you're stumping the th- the growth of the young lottery picks that they're going to play. It's just sort of, yeah, it's a fucked up deal, but what are you going to do? I it's, think it's 75, you know, 25. I think it's 75% more towards like the Ben Simmons thing is, is probably more 75% more wrong. Whereas the John Wall thing's 20, the team's 25%, if that makes sense to people listening. That's, that's how I see it. I don't think it's a 50, 50 saying, you know, apples and oranges. I think it's, there is a slight point which Paul's making. Obviously he's trying to get his client out of there, but I, I don't, I think definitely it's weighted towards Ben needs to be more professional and handle that better. But we'll watch that space, man. I mean, if they don't trade him, it's just, yeah, it's just sad for all parties. If, if this goes to the deadline, because it's going to, if we get to the new years and he's not traded, the pressure cooker, then he's on 76 is because their, their values are just plummeting day by day the closer it gets to the deadline and teams are going to use that as leverage. Folks, here's a fucking here's a PSA for any young player. Don't be a fucking asshole. <laughs> there you go. There's a one statement. Don't be a fucking asshole. You know what? Do your job. Work at your fucking craft. Put up numbers where they can't fuck you and you get the you know, you get all the leverage and don't be a fucking asshole. That's it. Don't be a fuck that should be a, a wristband. Don't be a fucking asshole and just do your job. I'll sign. And that's it. Sign in the practice yeah. facility. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Pro, you know, instead of Malcolm X or instead of like JFK, don't be a fucking asshole. Pro underneath. That's it. That, you <laughs> know, then, I, I want a little hashtag credit. Family. <laughs> yeah. Ha- hashtag family. Hashtag on my grind. <laughs> All right. Let's see. We'll see how that goes. All right. Some Montrez Harrell love. Interesting comment that he made. He's just constantly trolling the Lakers. But uh, Montrez Harrell on why he's playing better this year than he did last season. Quote. Now, he did quote himself. <laughs> he did talk about no, himself of course. first person. Montrez Harrell is on the floor, brother. That's the biggest difference. And we have to agree. He's 18 and 9 a night. 18 points, 9 rebounds a night. 64% from the field in 30 minutes. When you compare that to the Lakers last season, 13 and 6 in 23 minutes. So he's having a hell of a year. I love the way he's playing. I'm going to pat myself on the back and say I had him as the X Factor for the Wizards off the bench when we spoke about this as to why I'd have them fringe playing game playoffs. Um, I thought he was a big part of, of getting back to his role as to what it was with the Clippers. And he's been playing very well. His energy is infectious and he's just going out there and balling. And it's been, you know, why I brought this up as well is I wanted to talk about circumstances, which we discussed a little bit on the Q&A earlier. You know, fit, circumstances, um, coach, minutes, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have very talented players that get to a system that just does not fit their needs, does not fit their skill set. They either don't play well for whatever reason, they they get benched, they get into it with the coach, the GM, they want out. And then you have instances where there's a player that's not as good but then finds the right system and looks like an all-star. And this is a prime example. We, you know, Montrez Harrell was a shell of himself last season. I mean, 13-6 isn't horrible with the Lakers, but 
wasn't getting very many touches, was in and out of starting one week with their injuries, then bench, couldn't get any flow and consistency. And, and now he's got that with Washington and he looks night and day different pro. But, you know, talk us, you, you'd know better than I would be in a development coach is systems, roles, all that kind of stuff. It can make a player look like an all-star that's not and it can make an all-star look like someone who should never be an all-star if they're in the wrong system. Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on, you know, your style that you like to play, your teammates as far as the talent, your winning team. Does the ball move? There's a lot of things that sort of come into a player's development. And look, Montrez played well. You know, he, he came from Houston. You know, was getting a little bit of time in Houston. Then he get then he goes to he goes to the Clippers in a trade. The Clippers love him. Then he goes to the Lakers in free agency. Look, it just wasn't a great fit. The ball didn't move. You know, for as great as a passer as LeBron is, um, the ball doesn't really move a lot. And look, he's not like. Montrez isn't a guy that you give to and just let him go to work in the post. He's not Kyle Malone or anything. What he is is he runs the floor, offensive rebounds, rolls to the rim. You know, good on short roll, but you got to give it. You know, give get to give him the ball. The ball has to move. I just think his circumstance in Washington right now is so much better, where the ball is going to find him. Um, you know, you got Dimwitty, Beal, KCP, Kuzma. Like, it's not a bad little lineup. You know, Neto coming off the bench, Holiday. Like. They got guys, that ball moves, and he's just a tough guy, and he plays. Probably less drama, plus less bullshit. You know, they, they, they probably play a little bit freer. There's not as many much politics as far as who gets shots, when, and why. And it's, a, it's just good. It's good for your headspace. It's good for your development. It's good for your whole, you know, aura or whatever. You know, it's uh, – he's just in a better spot. I'm not – you know, I, I just think he plays hard, and – if you just get guys that the ball moves and you get them on switches, you get them on rolls and you find them. Like I said, he wouldn't be a go-to guy anywhere in the league. But if you play him correctly, yeah, he is a 17 and 8 guy, 17 and 9 guy for sure. And I'm sure he's glad to be out of that, you know, that fucking horror show in LA and, you know, that, that shit show. And, you know, just sort of, he could just sort of play basketball. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's a story for, Parents listening that have children and they're playing junior sports, whether they're in high school, college, want to be a pro one day, is uh, I think, look, Montrez Harrell probably, he made a few snarky comments last season when he was with the Lakers, but nothing, he wasn't too much of a of an idiot. Um, he, he wasn't, you know, causing massive issues and, and demanding trades. He somewhat handled it professionally. I think in 2021, he handled it professionally, pro, I, I think you'd agree, but it goes to show that you might not be in a system for a season or a coach might come in that's an interim coach or you might not be playing the style you want to play, but sometimes you just have to suck it up and, and ride that wave and then hopefully you find better pastures along the way. But, um, you know, if that becomes something three, four, five years, then if you're in the NBA, you, you explore a trade or signing somewhere else or if you're a young kid, you move clubs. But I think for a season, you, you got to kind of ride the waves and then reevaluate and that seems to be what, what, what Montrez has done. All right, Caruso's come out and said that um, – the Lakers disrespectfully lowballed him, which I found interesting. I thought I thought he was a really integral part of the identity of the Lakers the last couple of seasons. You know, a guy that grinded through the G League. Fantastic story for anyone who's not familiar. Read his story and how he's come to now earning, you know, four years, 37 million, much deserved. I spent some time with him. And I was the Lakers and I loved everything he was about. Just lunch pal guy, showed up, worked hard, really tore the, the G League up whenever he got sent down there and, and was a really, really good player. But um, yeah, he basically said that they the Lakers came to – he basically got an, an offer from from the Bulls, took it back to the Lakers and said, look, this is what they're offering. And, and their counter for four-year 37 was uh, two years, 15 million pro. <laughs> I'm not great at math. But, uh, you know, that's 22-odd million dollars um, – 
are missing from that number in two years. And I don't know if the Lakers just thought, look, you're a Laker, you know, you should give us a discount. Uh, but obviously, he's made the right decision. Decision, Just an interesting one that they'd let him walk and not even maybe get it to two years, 22, 23. Maybe he'd consider it, you know, you offer a little bit more for a shorter term. But um, yeah, good book keeping by the Lakers, bro. Yeah, you know, they've been weird for a long time with guys like that. I remember in 09, they win the championship. Trevor Ariza was a huge part of their you know of their championship team and then they he wanted like mid-level exception money and he wouldn't they wouldn't do it they wouldn't do it and they ended up signing uh they ended up signing uh ron artest for the same money uh they want they signed up for the mid-level exception so here's a guy that was a big part of it young kid athletic kid kobe liked him he ended up not, you know, they all he wanted was mid-level exception. He, like I said, big part of the team. They say no, let him walk, and they feel as though that anybody wants to play for the Lakers, they could low ball you as long as they have the stars in their first two or three spots. They don't really care, and they let the guy walk. Now it, it ended up working because Ron Artest won them a championship in that final in 2010, you know, in Game Seven. But just weird dealings. Caruso has been a model citizen, plays hard. Um, I don't know their his whole deal with like uh, how much they were able to give him, but like he was there four years, so they would have his bird rights if they wanted. So I don't understand their tax bill, something like forty six million. So what their tax bill would have probably been like fifty or sixty if they get got him. He would have been a really a decent part of their backup, you know, their second unit. It's just interesting that they just want to sign these three guys up top and basically sign almost everybody else to minimum deals and say, fuck it. If you you want to play with LeBron and be a Laker, you're going to be underpaid and we don't care. Yeah, sort of weird philosophy for sure. Yeah, it's not working as of today. Um, So you'll be interested to see. But I just thought Caruso's, you know, he's one of the best kind of gritty, you know, kind of deli-like defenders out there, especially in the pick and roll. He's not going to quit on plays. He makes all the right plays, high basketball IQ. His three-point shot's gotten a lot better and more confident and – he he brought a lot more offensively than they thought he would, but he's been a great pickup for the Chicago Bulls. So the Lakers' loss is is the Bulls' game, but just an interesting one with their bookkeeping. All right, next one is we have um, Robert Sarver's wife, Penny Sarver, apparently has sent some text messages to three former employees. Now, I hated the way this was spun. The text messages to me were were not really that bad, in my opinion. They were one of the text messages said something along the lines of, um, "I know a lot of bridges were burnt between you and I, you and Robert." And, and you were very bitter. I want, I want, to, I want to remind you that real lives are at stake. She further went on and said, "Please put your hatred aside and realize the hurt you were causing by spreading lies and fabrications. Is your time in the spotlight that important? If something happens to one of my children, I'll hold you and Earl Watson personally responsible. Think about your own child for a second and imagine the tables turned." So these people, whoever she, one of the texts was to Earl Watson and a few other people. They've come out and said that they take those Texas threats, which I think is just stupid it's obviously whether you like the comments or not it's a mother that's and a wife that's trying to defend her husband maybe she's gone a little too far by the text but they're they're the first thing from threats in my opinion there's someone off record is on record anonymously has said i can't take this any other way but a threat well it's not really a threat in my opinion but it's it's got to this point now it's it's gotten days of our lives here we've got the wife of robert sarver going into bat as she should you know she's a bit of a trophy wife pro i don't know if you've seen a photo so she she's um decent on the eye pro but uh you gotta love a woman going into bat for her husband pro don't you i mean it's 
it's 2021. We want we want women to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it was dumb as shit to be honest with you. <laughs> look, I mean, look, I get it. They're, look, they're rich people, both. You you know, like you guys have money. Those guys have like I don't know how much money they actually have, that, but like rich people do whatever the fuck they want for the most part, and no one ever tells them no, and they live in some such a fantasy world on stuff. Look, I get all of that. What she said is sort of true. You know, the the employees were bitter. You know, look, you know, look, you know, Watson had an awful record as a as a head coach. You know, regardless of like the environment, like as far yeah, as like sucked. the record itself, <laughs> it was awful, right? But so he probably thought like, you know, the way he spins it, he could spin it a little bit. Look, I I'm sure it was toxic. I've heard countless stories about that situation being a little bit toxic, without question. But like yeah, so he's bitter. So what? These employees that spoke on record are bitter. Like, of course they're bitter. But like, now you're in an investigation. You gotta shut the fuck up and let the investigation go. Cause you know how it is. It's 2021. Nobody has, like, to put shit online and you're in the know and you can, like, put stuff out and get attention to yourself. Like, no one's ever gonna hold that shit back. So once she pressed send, she had to expect in real yeah, life that sh- this shit was going to get out. Screenshot. She's got to be smarter yeah. than that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I was being a bit of a smart ass. Um, I, I don't agree with it. I, I, yeah, I, no doubt, no doubt. I just think you're you're right. I think just just keep quiet, let the dust settle, and go go to yeah. court and see how it goes. All I know is her law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe should have fucking definitely shut this shit down with these text messages. Like, she's got to be smarter than that, and it's just going to be used against her, and it's just a fucking shit show. And it, it'll be interesting how this whole thing plays out. I know how it's going to do. He's going to be forced to sell the team. I don't think the league will force to sell it because I I think it's going to be tough for them to really put the same type of – because his mental health is so much better than uh, Sterling's is. But what's going to happen is sponsorships – sponsors are going to start dropping. And financially, they're going to have to be forced to sell the team at some point. Can I go to so, a vote to the board to the to the other owners, board of governors? Because they have no power to vote him out, though, can they? I'm not sure, Bogues. I, I you know I can't even speak on that. That's what happened with but Sterling. Like, That's what happened with Sterling. They they um, went to a vote, and I'll give some people a little bit of um, a little bit of news that's never been discussed during the Donald Sterling investigation. Pro, you might know who this is. We're not going to name him, but uh, there was a one owner voted no. Do not uh, do not kick out uh, Donald Sterling. Just just a little tidbit that you've heard here first on Rogue Bogues. There was one owner that was against it. That's still in the league today. So really, yes, there was. Yes, there was. Um, hmm. I've been told by some people very close to the situation that were in the room. There was one uh, one owner that said, uh, "No, we should, it's a bad precedent if we if we uh, have a, a team taken off an owner for whatever reason." But anyway, yeah. that's just a small little bit of breaking news for, you, for our for our Rogues <laughs> for our listeners. But yeah, man, just let the dust settle. Get this thing all over yeah. with. Look, toxic work environment. I mean, yeah, they're going to try to they're going to try to find a way to take the team, but it seems like the old stubborn kind of fella who's up there in age who has nothing better to do than to fight this till his dying day. So I think this is going to be a long, long term fight. I don't think it's going to happen as quickly as the Sterling thing did, which then leads to the argument of the players. They're they're they're, they're arguably potential championship um, team. You know, the top 
top five, top six in the league, does that become a distraction the longer it goes on? Will that then mount pressure on Sava to say, hey, like this is affecting the team and the players? Does he care if it is? Who knows? You know, so there's a lot of questions and a lot of ramifications of this outside of just this. Did you, by the way, <laughs> some, I can't remember whose podcast I was listening to. I think it might have been Strauss's. They played some uh, some footage of, it was, it was it was the house of Strauss. They were talking about this and um, they basically got some clips back when they were trying to build the... I guess get funding to revamp or build a new arena in Phoenix a number of years ago and they had, they had some lady at the court hearing say like Robert Sava has never given a shit about the city of Phoenix he has never put one dollar in why should you know blah 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 why should the um why should we be funding his his arena like he doesn't he hasn't he's notoriously let every good player from the Phoenix Suns walk away for more money he's notoriously you know let go of good coaches and good employees because he didn't want to overpay him and it was just a fair point you know it was, it was it was just from some random lady that showed up and was just blasting him so he's not well liked there in Phoenix too uh, at least from Suns fans and, and now it's only getting worse so it'd just be interesting if all that pressure mounts up and he like you said he's a rich dude he can live on a on a, on a yacht for the rest of his life and and, and but I, I just think it's going to be a a pissing contest for him and he's going to fight this. Yeah, he will. Look, Sterling, bad, you know, he, his dementia, I mean, the tape, dementia, he got $2 billion with no, like, Obama didn't, he he didn't bid against anybody. He just gave $2 billion, which they don't even own their own building at the time. So it's like, you know, they basically own the the jerseys and that's about it. So it's like $2, million, $2 billion. So it's like that, of course, it was going to go. With Sauber, there's no at this point. There's no film. I mean, he might be an asshole, but his mental health seems like it's decent, right? And there's no pressure. Again, the only pressure that's going to come on him will be, you know, how these mobs are going to start going after these sponsors, and these sponsors are going to be like, oh no, racist, blah blah blah, and then he's they're going to drop, and financially he won't be able to keep it. He's been an asshole for years, no doubt about it. But, you know, this is going to be an interesting thing. He's not going to let this thing go. And um, I'll tell you what. There's a new fucking catchphrase in the NBA. It's called toxic work environment. We, we, we need to talk about that at some point, Bogues. Like, you know, I mean, there's differences, obviously, with that, with the racist stuff that was said and some of the shit that was done. But, like, now, guy, you know, GMs are being called to the forefront for just yelling at people. So it's like... What actually constitutes an actual toxic work environment? Because if it's yelling at people, every coach and GM oh, needs to be thrown out yeah, of the fucking like league, right? It's the professional sports as much as – this is what always gets me about some of the NBA Twitter people that follow um, basketball and uh, even the journalists and they're generally, you know, they don't like toxic masculinity and all that kind of stuff. Like professional sports is the epitome of that. <laughs> it's dog eat dog. It's like, I hope my locker room mate does his knee so I can take his minutes. It's, I hope he plays bad so I can then get in the rotation. It, it is. That's a fact. If you think I'm, I'm making things up, it's, I'm sorry. That's the honest truth. So it's always funny when I, you know, a lot of these, these journalists and stuff out there that are like, oh, you know, that was a, someone yelled at someone. I'm like, have you been part of any sporting team before in your life? Like this is an everyday occurrence. It's like, yeah, I had a shower today and got cussed out by my coach. Like it's, it is what it is. Or, or my GM just lit the coach up for why didn't you play my guy? I just drafted. Like that's every day. So if that's a toxic work environment, it's a pretty slippery slope because you're going to have a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, owners losing teams. You know, you don't want, you don't want people to be mutes. You want to hold people accountable. Now, is, is there a difference between that and like, Hey, Jimmy, you're an absolute, you know, blah, 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 blah for five minute tirade. 
um, that's just gone straight personal. No, there's no room for that. But if it's like, hey, man, like your work's, this is some shitty work. You need to do better. We need a better scouting report. Like you haven't done X, Y, and Z. I've told you five times, six times, seven times. I need more from you. That today would be deemed toxic. I guarantee you it would because you're hurting someone's feelings. So you make a valid point. I think that that's not defending Sava by any means. And I've heard different things. And I'll give you a funny story about Sterling when he was there. And he's probably going to end up in, probably already is in the same nursing home as Joe Biden. They can probably talk about <laughs> sawing their pants and whatnot. But um, Donald Sterling, so I had a few a few of my teammates played there. And they said, man, that, that dude was wild. They said he used to bring in like, he used to bring friends in to the, like the locker room. I don't know if you heard these stories and almost walk his friends through the showers while guys were showering and be like, you know, these are my race horses. Like, look at these, look at these specimen. Look at them. They're in fantastic shape. And this, you know, kind of like they were, you know, purebred race horses. Like, it was like, I heard stories like that from back in the day. I was like, holy shit. Like, why are they butt naked, bro? Like, just cruising friends through, like, hey, here's my collection of athletes. <laughs> Have a look at that. The best Sterling story, and I've heard those stories, and they're true. I knew a guy that was um, that was a coach on their staff, and he told me the same exact thing. But I'll tell you what, uh, one of my favorites that I was told. So Sterling's big thing is like obviously housing, right? Like you know, so he would he would go in, he would build like this housing rent, right? development, L- low rent, right? Low rent so and high, low low and high. It's actually a great story. I got to get the total facts with it, but. Um, like Jerry Buss couldn't afford to buy the Lakers originally. So he had to get a loan, I believe, from Sterling. And so Sterling and him, like in the middle of the night, were going through like Beverly Hills. And he was basically picking out properties that he would trade off for this for him to buy the Lakers. That's not my story. My story would be he, he loves to jip fucking like people who did work for him so a contractor he'd come in say he would build this like built like um these condos or whatever for like 50 million dollars 60 million dollars he'd come in and at the end he'd be like yeah bogues you know what 60 million i'm, I'm gonna pay you like 47 and I'm like wait a minute we got a fucking contract <laughs> he goes yeah okay we got a fucking contract but i'm gonna tell you 47 million or I'm going to tie this up in, in fucking court and you'll never get your fucking money. So which one you would you want? So basically that's what he would do. There was a story and I, I've had this like three or four people told me the story where his wife had these marble fucking floors put in their house. One of their 19 mansions they probably had. And the, and the job was like, I don't know, 700 grand. And she goes, yeah, I'm going to pay you 500. He goes, Okay, you want to pay me 500? Good. He went out in the fucking truck and got a fucking, and got like a fucking drill and was about to jackhammer the whole fucking floor up until she agreed to pay him. It was a fucking great story. Oh, that's some Balkan shit. They, that's some Balkan shit. Yeah. yeah. That's how, yeah, that's how, the, that's how rich people do it. Not okay. all of them, but well, some of them. My other Clippers teammates, uh, former Clipper teammates that I played with, or teammates that were with the Clippers, sorry. And get that out right, but they they also said that they they never used to have their own practice facility back in the day. Have you heard all those stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah so I heard that. They used to train down somewhere in Inglewood, like like rough, rough area, right? And they said they they'd come out from practice, like dudes' cars would be on bricks, <laughs> the rims would be yeah. gone, dudes' stereo systems would be jacked, like half their shit would be missing, and they're just like. Yeah, and they said that like literally like they'd get kicked off the court sometimes for like gangbangers that were having their you know their daily runs basketball runs of five on five in the, in the you know in, in the area you know where it's just an open gym type would start at let's say two p.m. in the afternoon and they'd be at like one fifty five these guys would just walk on and be like hey Clippers get the fuck off our court and they'd have to leave it was like bonkers stories man it all came down to like Sterling not wanting to invest in a practice facility <laughs> like pay proper rent and shit he was just paying like paying this place in Inglewood just by the hour for the Clippers to use it as an NBA team man like absolutely crazy there's a great book written about the Lakers called Show 
Showtime, and Jeff Perlman wrote it, and it's it's a great book about the whole how the Lakers are formed, blah blah blah. But like they go into detail about Sterling because of course Sterling was such a big part of it. First having the team in San Diego with the Clippers, but being such a big part of the Lakers' uh, history as far as you know him and Bus and their relationship, and they go into all of that. They go into the fact that like yeah, they they practice in the hood. And these fucking guys sometimes would wait until the first or the fifteenth when these guys get their checks and try to like hold them up, you know, when they left the uh, when they left the parking lot. There was some great stories in the book about that stuff. It's a interesting deal, man. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't it? That's why they've always been kind of laughed at as not a, not not LA's team. They're always kind of the little poor brother. But uh, all right, moving on. So I don't know if you just saw it today or yesterday after the Wolves lost Russell Westbrook at the press conference. Did you see that, bro? No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I've seen the footage. He was ba- he basically had his cell phone in his hand during the whole press conference, and he's like, <laughs> just looking at shit on his phone while he's answering questions. <laughs> of course. And whether that's right or wrong isn't why I brought it up. Uh, Brian Ward, who's their beat writer, he had, he had a bit of a cry about it. Put out a tweet saying, um, "What did he say? Call me crazy, but I think it's a bit disrespectful to look at your phone during entire post game interviews, especially after getting blown out because they lost to, to the Wolves in a bad loss." And then he later wrote, "Just me, I guess." Manners, what a concept. Well, pro, look, my message for, for Ryan Ward would be instead of trying to get social clout, you were in the fucking press conference. How about you just say it while you ask your question? You know what I mean? And this is what's wrong with with everything today. So he thinks he's he's doing the noble thing by going on social media and I'm going to get myself some clout. And he's probably right. Like, I'm, I don't think he's wrong. I think what Russell did, probably not the most respectful thing. Like, you're not really paying attention for whatever reason. But it, it kind of – I would have agreed with Ryan Ward if he asked it in person. You know, hey, hey, Russ, can you put your phone down for us? I'm asking you a question. But – He's shit scared to do that and then runs off to social media to then try to get a pile on to Russell Westbrook. Is just, it is so 2021. And I just thought, eh, I got to have a little quick, little quick chat about this and see what your thoughts are. I don't know. I mean, as a journalist, right? Like, I guess if you're an old school journalist and, you know, people, you know, the players back in the day, most of them, not all, would respect the press conference, respect the questions he would ask them, all this stuff, right? And I guess it is pretty disrespectful when I don't know Ryan Ward, but, you know, it is pretty disrespectful, I guess. And if you really are serious about your, you know, about sort of your craft, you'd be a little bit pissed about it. I agree. He probably should have called them out like, hey, what's going on? But again, the NBA teams let these guys lash out at reporters and they don't say shit about it. You know, they disrespect the media as much as anyone these days. Now, there's some pretty fucking stupid journalists out there. Not all of them, but there are some guys who at and women who ask some dumb questions and aren't fucking informed. But I could see how Ryan would be a little bit, you know, ticked off about it. But it is, you know, it is the day and age of, you know, being a little passive aggressive online for sure. But um, I don't know, Bogues. Like, what's your thought? Like, here... Here's the thing, like, I do agree that the players should be able to, like, talk back to reporters, especially if they don't like a question or whatever, but, like, do you think that, like, flipping through your phone the whole time? No, I I don't agree with that. I don't agree. Like I said, I think it's unprofessional. I just think then what Ryan Ward did was somewhat unprofessional. Like, I call him out. I would If I was a reporter, I would have been like, hey, Russ, you need me to text you my next question? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would have made a joke about it and tried to lighten the mood, made a, had a little bit of a pun. But then don't go crying on social media about it when you had a microphone in your hand. If it really was that disrespectful, like, which it was, I agree. But I, I just agree, disagree with the way Ryan Ward's handled it. So 2021, he wanted his followers and fans to get all riled up about it, which has happened now. Russell's going to have to answer questions about it tomorrow. And I hope to God he brings a cell phone when he answers those questions just for a laugh. 
But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just think they both handled it poorly. Like if you, if you, if it really bothered you, have some nuts and and. and Tell him on the spot, hey, man, do you mind putting your phone down? Or, hey, you know, whoever the PR guy is, is with the Lakers, say, hey, can, do you mind if, if, if you grab Russell's phone and we can – it would have caused some issues, but then don't, don't then go and tweet it and hide behind your account. Um, that's that's more my point. Look, there's respect goes both ways. There's dickhead journalists and reporters. There's dickhead players that treat him poorly. 90% do, do the right thing, and I, I think players – genuinely appreciate when a journalist is well-researched. This is why I liked Strauss. I mean, he would piss a lot of people off, but at the same time, his questions were always different. They were always, you know, it wasn't the same, uh, yeah, if we play hard tomorrow, we'll win. We need to stop player X. We need to keep our field goal percentage, defensive field goal percentage low. Like, yeah, you know, it's just a, it's robotic, boring shit, right? Where Strauss would come and ask you some shit that was just from left field and it would make you think. I like people like that, even though I might not agree with the question or what it was about. But he would make you think and actually make you have an informed opinion. I, I respected those reporters because you could tell they enjoyed their craft. They weren't just A to B beat reporters that were doing the bare minimum to get their, you know, whatever their salary was. So everyone's different. Um, some guys love doing it. I, I, teammates that hated doing the media and, and it wasn't so much from the point of view of, of the media it was that they weren't confident in their speaking skills and they weren't confident in answering questions and they, they didn't want to get they didn't want to be that gotcha video that's on instagram or making fun of an athlete saying something stupid right so i had you know teammates like that and that's more than acceptable so that they generally didn't want to do media and you know our pr people understood that and then you have people like steph who are just so well spoken and calm and give great answers that are thrilled to watch at a press conference so it goes both ways pro i agree you, you you've got dickhead people in all walks of life but ryan ward grow some grow some balls and ask the question. Ask, ask the question or make the statement at the press conference and, and don't tweet about it. Uh, you sent me this one, Dave Griffin, Alvin Gentry battle, and <laughs> this one's pretty funny actually. And it's I know Alvin Gentry. I, don't, I know David Griffin a little bit. I've only had a week's worth dealing with him in Cleveland, and then he actually came and visited the Kings two seasons ago when I was with him to check on Didi Lazada. But I've, I've dealt with Alvin Gentry on a daily basis. I love his personality. He's got a great sense of humor, great dude to talk to, jovial. So anyhow, the story goes something like this. The Pelicans lead executive, David Griffin, while Alvin Gentry coached the team in 2019-20, reportedly told people, I'm not sure if it was in the front office or in a board meeting, I give Alvin all the answers to the test and he still fails. <laughs> so keep that in mind. You fast forward now. So... Alvin's an assistant with um, with the Kings, right? Yeah, Sacramento Kings. Um, obviously, Luke Walton connection with the Warriors, so that all makes sense. So as they're crossing paths in, in the locker room, Griffin approached Gentry in the bowels of the Smoothie King Center to offer a warm hello to his former head coach, yet Gentry brushed off his initial efforts as inauthentic. From there, according to multiple reports with knowledge of the incident, Griffin denied the findings of the, of the New Orleans article, NOLA.com article, particularly his answers to the test line, and the notion that he played piano for Williamson during the team's bubble stay in Disney World. And then you hear Alvin Gentry shout, you must not have given Stan the answers to the test either. <laughs> <laughs> really good really clever he had that in his arsenal so apparently the two were about to you know G uh, Griffin turned around wanted to go at Alvin Gentry but I, I think that's great I think it's awesome I think it's a <laughs> it's something that he's had on his mind for a long long time and I, I, I assume he can use that same one this season with the way the New Orleans Pelicans are going pro yeah I think he gave the answers to the geometry test unfortunately they were taking a fucking history test with the, with the way New Orleans is playing <laughs> these days but um yeah, like Gentry, look, he's been around a long time. He made a lot of fucking money. He's well-respected around the league. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the greatest um, tenure at, in New Orleans. But, look, if you're going to say something like that and it gets out, of course the guy's – if the guy has any balls or fucking hard at all, he's going to use it against you. 
And that's tough, man. Like, look, if you fired the guy, you know, maybe you promised him a job and you fired him halfway through or you're going to give him another year and you didn't. Um, that's one thing. But if you if you're quoted on saying I gave him the answer to the test, and he still failed. What fucking answers did you give him? You know what I'm saying? Like, to, but but to say that, you know, it's going to get out like. They, there's more fucking holes in NBA organizations as far as people who leak. Like in coaches meetings, there's going to be coaches who leak everything you say to as players. As noted last week by a good friend H. Bob, right? He was, he was actually shocked yeah. at that. Yeah, it leaks. Yeah, so there's, there's going to be like whatever you say is either going to get recorded by a fucking employee. It's going to get or just regurgitated to the media, to the owner, to players. Like it's going to get, it's going to get out. So. If you, you know, if you don't, hey, look, you could say whatever you want, but you, you don't have to fucking pay the piper at some point. And the guy called you on it. And, you know, it's uh, just another fucking day at the circus, my man. I love that. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love people that remember shit and then bring it up. In, no doubt. Right at the opportune time. <laughs> yeah. I love when people do that to me. I love when people do that to me. If I said something stupid, which happens almost daily on, on uh, every hour on the hour. Like if somebody brings it back at me. And I can't say anything. I'll be like, you know what? I got nothing. Great fucking line. Yeah, yeah. Like, good that's, memory. That's the deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. no doubt. Yeah, we all and look, no doubt. We all make mistakes, but yeah, I mean, that's a good one. You, you must not have given him an answer to the test. All right, pet peeve of mine, pro. I'm going to bring up mic'd up players, man. Oh man, it, it's 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 getting it's bad. fake as shit. Oh, it's fake as shit. And people have no idea. People have no idea. Like yeah. I've been around teams where people have been mic'd up, and I was cognizant of. It. I didn't want to. I never wanted to be mic'd up. I've been asked numerous times. I said number one, no one will extent, understand what the hell I'm saying. Number two, I swear way too much. Number three, I'm going to say something stupid. And number four, I don't want to change the way I am because I know I've got a microphone on. Let me give everyone a tip out there. Everyone that's mic'd up, that's not their personality. Generally speaking, everyone. It's like. I've seen guys that are, you know, dead quiet for the most part. They don't really say a whole lot. Or on a microphone, like, yeah, let's go, guys. Come on, get it together. Oh, it's just a 5-0 run. We can get it. Time out, guys. Nah, stay together. Come on. Why are we, why are we bitching at each other? We pick a brother up. Pick a brother up. Pick a teammate up. You know, I'm just like, dude, like that vomit emoji is whenever I see a player mic'd up. And it's just so Hollywood. So I just want to, you know, wanted to kind of voice my pet peeve with it and some will say okay it, it is it, but pro sports is hollywood these days so we get it but i just people think that that's the personality of the player um, look how engaged he is and look how much it's, it's not watch the other 81 games go buy a courtside seat behind the bench when they're down 30 or, or up 20 or whatever it is and then and then you'll see the real player but uh i don't know how you feel about a pro but it's something that's always always been um something that's been on the top of my mind and bothered me i told you if i was going to write a book it'll be about the nba it'll be titled everybody lies everybody lies because that's the fucking truth everybody lies and no like especially when they're on camera not many people are genuine i'd say 90 Two percent of the people are not going to be genuine when they're on on camera. I remember this when I was with Grover. Uh, they were going to do a at the end that they were going to do a reality show on us. Yeah, you know, like a fucking full full fledged reality show. I said, you know what, this is going to be fucking great. You know, because especially how I talk, like it would be great. And I, I watched a little reality TV before then, but not much. So I didn't really know what to think of it. I thought most of that stuff was a little bit real. And then we go in in the back room, like they filmed us working out. I'll be cussing out Eddie Curry, da da da, all this stuff. And then we're in the back with another employee. And then the, the producer was like, "Well, I want you to ask this question, and then he's going to answer it like this." I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! What the fuck are you talking about?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, like we do fifty of these reality shows 
all of those conversations that people have with each other, a thousand percent scripted. Not one of it's like real shit. I'm like, fuck this shit. I, I can't do this thing. Like, I, you know, so it's the same thing when you're mic'd. It's all fucking not scripted, but players know when they're mic'd. It's not like they got a hot mic. You know, TMZ get those hot mics a lot and it gets out there. Like when people are talking like real shit because they don't know they're being recorded. It ain't like that when players are recorded. You know, it's not like that. They know they're being recorded. So, of course, they're going to be on best behavior. So, yeah, it, for the most part, that stuff's fake. Not all of it, but I'd say more than 90% of it's going to be fake. It is. It is. And it just shows you, I, I guess it's incentivized because if you put a player on that's boring, you're not going to get that opportunity again to be asked to be mic'd up neither. So you got to you got to play the part a little bit, but I just I just hated seeing some of my teammates completely change when they had a mic on. Like you'd almost 82 games, they're pretty quiet for 75 of them in timeouts and then we're down and they're, you know, in there rallying the troops in, in a timeout. I'd used to walk up to them and try to pat them down and feel if there was a microphone and uh, just make a kind of a, a subtle troll asshole joke about like we know you're mic'd up dude just chill out a little bit you know what i mean but uh that's the nba it is it is becoming hollywood and that's why we love it and hate it and we love to talk about it but um just something for people to know that the personalities you see mic'd up are usually one iota of what what the day day-to-day grind of it is i'll finish with this some aussie brethren our, our friend jock landau has covid pro um i believe or he's in the protocol so i think he close contact or, or got it um so unfortunate for him he's been playing really really well practice wise and, and and really starting to find his legs by his reports from when I spoke to him. Obviously, still not getting the minutes, but what I mean by playing, he, he's starting to really just get 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 through the normality of an NBA season and grind and was really itching at getting the rotation. And who knows with Pop, it could have been today or it could have been in 2029. But yeah, a bit of, bit of uh, kind of back and forth here from Australian commentators about why he's not playing. But yeah, he has, uh, he's going to be out for 14 odd days, pro, which sucks because I feel like you probably would have got a run here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, look, they're not a very good team. And I say that not to make fun of them. It's just the reality of it. They're just not very good. And there's going to be, you know this, 82 games in the season. And, yeah, it, it sucks that he's out, right? It sucks that he's got COVID. Hopefully he makes a full recovery, which he probably will, obviously. But there's going to be plenty of opportunity for him. And he doesn't need to play well for 57, 60 games in a row. All he needs to do, especially at the end of the year when they're probably going to be sort of like out of things, there's going to be times where they sit people. There's going to be times where guys get hurt. There's going to be back-to-backs. There's going to be times where Pop just does Pop shit and fucking just doesn't play anybody and plays all the bench. There's going to be plenty of opportunity. You know, look, they brought him in. It's sort of a dick move. They bring him in all year and don't play him. I think there's going to be opportunity for him to really show his value. He's a hell of a player. He's a hell of a second-unit guy. He brings you energy. He can shoot it a little bit. He's smart. He's tough. He's going to show, you know, of course, I didn't say any of this when I, I had a you know, rank of making the Olympic team, but my shit changed on him for the last few months. But he's going to be he's going to be fine. There's going to be a patch of time where he's going to show his stuff. If he gives a good 10, 12 games, which I think he'll give more than that. But you know, like he's better than a lot of the guys in the second unit as is. He just needs a little bit of an opportunity, which he's going to get. He just, you know. Like I, like I say to players all the time, folks, it's got to be like, you got to be Andy Dufresne from Shawshank Redemption. You got you to gotta plan your escape. You got to fucking plan it every day. You got to do the same routine. You can't lose your fucking shit. You can't lose your mind. You just got to wait for that one opportunity and, you know, to escape. And that's what he's got to do. And once he starts playing, he's got to earn it and he'll be fine. It's just going to take some time for him to sort of get that shit going. And it sucks. It's, it's a bad short-term loss right now. You know, it's like our boy H-Bob. I'm sure he's taken short-term losses, 
but then grinded out wins over over past you know for two three months in a row. And that's what fucking he's got to do. He's got to win it and practice every day, every little day. And then you know there's gonna be a cold day in fucking February in Minnesota, and where they're down eighteen and no one's fucking doing anything. And they're gonna throw him in a game and he's gonna do his thing. So he just yeah, has to wait. He'll be fine. And that's that's for the people listening. There have been some – mainly from the Australian side. Of, why did Jock Lando sign in the NBA if he's not going to play? You know, he's 15 games in. Pump the brakes a little bit. He's you know, he's playing for a coach that's notorious for not playing young guys. You look at the history of what he's done with, with different guys throughout different stages. Um, Ginobili had issues at the start. Tony Parker, even Paddy Mills. So early on in his career, was I think it was 12 minutes a game his first year there after playing two years in Portland. Just – it's one year. If this was year two slash three, there would be some cause for concern where you'd think, okay, maybe Jock needs to look elsewhere go back to Europe, whatever it is, that's when I'd start to flirt with the panic button, but everyone pump the brakes. It's 15 games in. Jock Landau's going to put all the work in. Like I said, he's playing really well in practice, doing all the right things, doing extra work, getting his extra workouts in, staying professional. But yeah, you just don't want any any kind of setback where you know he starts second-guessing himself or he gets frustrated. He's in his first year. It's his rookie year in the NBA, dream come true. It will be okay, like Pro said. There will be a night where there's – people thought it was going to come sooner with, with Yaka Pertle out. I did as well. I thought, shit, this is – you don't want to see an injury, but Jock's probably going to play into some minutes. He played garbage time the night before Pertle was out, had 10 points in a quick succession, everyone thought, no brainer, he's going to play. And then he got five straight DMPs, pop101coaching.com, and didn't play. But he'll he'll get there eventually. And if that all doesn't work, I mean, a, a fuck Trump hat walking into the practice facility might just inch him into some more minutes, bro. Or get him bought out so he could go to the team he wants to go to. So, you know, <laughs> either one. Yeah. And then to finish the Australian brethren off, Joe Ingalls. Don't touch referees, Joe Ingalls. You've uh, $30,000 lighter, of course, the infamous. What was that, Pro? Was that even, would we even call that a fight between Rudy Gobert and Miles Turner? NBA standards, it's an MMA, but a regular standard is probably not. It looked like oh, a, a Russian bear wrestling after a bottle of vodka each kind of tussle. It was um, pretty silly. And, and Gobert actually made some comments after it about nobody's about that life in the NBA. Um, and I'd, I'd somewhat agree with that. It's a lot of theatrics, which we'll get to at story time. But yeah, Joe Ingles ran in trying to help, not knowing exactly what he was going to do. Um, wouldn't have been much, but Joe does like to get in amongst it. But uh, I think he accidentally bumped the referee along the way and copped $30,000. So stop uh, stop pushing around officials, Joey. It's, it's not good sportsmanship, mate. So. We'll see how that goes. Stats, useful or useless, a few good ones this week. All right, so pro, Steph Curry has passed Ray Allen for the most threes in NBA history when you include playoffs as well. With 585 fewer games under his belt, pro. Now, this is obviously useful and useless, but I'm going to ask you this question. When it's all said and done, will anyone ever catch the feet put down by Steph Curry with three-pointers made in the NBA in the history of the game? You never want to say never, although I think it's going to be a while before it's done. Just the way the game's played these days, you know, Bogues, but the amount of threes this guy makes and, and, you know, just sort of what he brings to the game every day and his level of play, it's going to be really hard to, to find. Uh, we always say these things, though, that, oh, this guy's never going to get passed and this guy's gonna get, never going to get passed. There are some records that will be never broken, like John Stockton's assist record and things like that. But I'll tell you what, this is going to be really tough. Now, this is a useful stat for sure, but it'll be interesting if Ray Allen played in this era where threes, you know, he I mean, people wanted him to shoot threes his whole career, but into the volume they're shot today, I, I'd be interested to see how he would have done with this, you know. Yeah, but Ray was – I feel like Ray was much better kind of moving off screens and feet set. Yeah. I think Steph's 
degree of difficulty just this season has gone up another step from the last couple of seasons. The, the stuff that he's making is absolutely bananas. So I think there's an argument to it, yes, because it's valued more. Like if you compare, you know, even someone that's probably over the last 10 years who's top 100 for three-point field goals uh, made would probably be first in the 80s, right? You know, that's just the way the game's progressed and the value around around three-point shooting. But I mean, he's currently, um, Steph, 3,366 three-pointers made his NBA career to date. I mean, he's going to pass 4,000 quite easily. But I don't know if it's a number that's going to be achievable for a long time because, you know, most flat out feet set three point shooters are exactly that. They're good coming off screens, they're good spacing. He's a unique beast where he can have the ball in his hands and get up just as quality three point shots off the dribble, off pick and roll, step backs, your sidestep, cha cha cha, which he's really good at. I just don't see many players doing that. If you, if you equate it to like a Steve Kerr, a Kyle Corver, those kind of guys that were feet set, you know, or moving off screens, that's much easier to put that fire out. Whereas, you know, Steph crossover, crossover, break your ankle. Shoot, I mean, the degree of difficulty almost makes the 3,366 seem like it's 5,000, you know? Before Steph, I thought Nash was the best shooter of all time for that reason. You know, before Steph, you know, sort of made these big, there's a big jump in his game. But, like, because of the fact, I always thought, like, Ray Allen, Larry Bird, this guy, Reggie Miller, whatever, whatever. But guys like Nash, guys like, you know, Steph, those guys had to shoot the ball off pick and roll, double teamed, triple teamed. You know, yeah, they do a little bit off the ball for sure, but they had to do most of their shooting off the off the dribble. So I sort of weighed that a lot more than players that just came off screens all the time. Not that it's easy to do that, but they're not really spotted up in waiting for like double, triple teams like a Corver. Like Corver would do it off the move, he would do it off a wide pin down, he would do it in transition, he'd do it off the dribble, like in dribbling up in transition and when he's running a lane. But these guys, Nashi and fucking Steph. They had to do it with people all, all over them, all pick and roll, all this and that. I mean, those guys were phenomenal. And they would. I think the degree of difficulty was a lot higher for those two than it is for most of the other shooters that ever played. Yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree. It's Yeah, that's, that's why it's just so mind-boggling. All right, next one. So I'm going to ask you a question. Since 2008, no player has hit more game tying or go-ahead shots in the final minute of the fourth quarter or overtime than who, bro? Hmm. 2008. Since 2008, maybe Durant? Oh, close. Who do you got? Russell Westbrook. No shit. Yeah, since his rookie year, since coming into the league, which is 2008, no player has hit more game-tying or go-ahead shots in the final minute of the fourth or OT. He's hit 53. Dame Lillard is at 52, which is interesting because Dame Lillard came to the league much later. Um, LeBron James is at 52 as well, and Durant at 51. But yeah, it's Russell Westbrook. Look, his last probably five years haven't been in the high clip. I think he's 20% from three on some of those. But body of work, man, that's, that's a pretty impressive number. Useful or useless? I think it's pretty useful. You know, I mean, it, it tells... It tells you that the guy's been a go-to player and not afraid to take that shot. Coaches obviously pour and put him in those, that situation, and the guys the guys deliver. You know, obviously. So uh, I think it's a pretty useful stat. You know me, I'm I'm us- usually pretty useless on these things. You know, as far as uh, the stats, useful, useless. But I'll say this is useful. What do you think? I think it's useful. Yeah, I think he, he cops a lot of shit for bad shot selection. I think the Lakers fans at times this year have been frustrated with him taking some ill-advised shots late in games to keep him in games or tie the game or put him up. Um, but his body of work, I mean, he's he's going to back himself. That's the thing that you love about Russell Westbrook, right? He's going to he could he got over ten. He's going to take the eleventh one. Now that can be a bad thing and a good thing at times. It can be a little hard headed, but he's going to he's going to put bets on himself. And as a player, that's what you you always want to kind of have that. 
confidence where you're not looking in the rearview mirror. So I think it's uh, it's useful. Next one, Anthony Davis, bro, is shooting 14.9% from three this season. He's four for 27. Not a big volume of him, but what is that? Two, almost three a game. What well, is three a game, actually? Yeah. Um, no, wait, what game are we at, bro? 15. No, so I'm wrong. So it's, so it's just under two a game. That would be the worst three-point percentage in NBA history among players with two-plus attempts per game if it continues, pro. Useful or useless? Useful in the short term. I think that he's going to have to play more games to see what this is. He's on my fantasy team, which I drafted him by accident, <laughs> by the way. I meant to draft Booker. And the time went out, and I couldn't fucking select it. I was pissed, so I had to take Davis because he was high in the rank. He was sort of like in the rankings, like the next guy to take. But I had Booker. I couldn't fucking do it. And I don't like taking Davis because he's always hurt. And he falls down. Davis must fall down 79 times a game. I mean, that guy is on the floor more times than anybody else. I'd say it's, it's short term. The guy's a pretty good shooter. He's a skilled player. I don't think he's. I don't think that that tells the whole story. I just think it tells the story short term. I'll tell you what, folks. We talked about the ball and all these players complaining about it. There are a lot of fucking players that usually shoot pretty good percentages that's struggling like a motherfucker. You know, I, I'm not saying it's a ball, but what the fuck? Except like, for KD and Steph. Yeah, KD. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like Dame Lillard yeah, struggling, yeah. Herder struggling, uh, D- Robinson struggling now. Robinson's getting you signed that twenty million dollar year deal. You could probably you know put a little bit of that on it. But like, there's a lot of players fucking struggling. It's interesting, but yeah, I think he'll, I think he'll, I think he'll knock out of it a little bit. He'll. I think he'll, it's he'll, useful though because their lineups are predicated on him being at the five for small ball a lot because of that three point shooting ability. So he needs to get that number you know to a respectable twenty five thirty percent, which is going to be hard to do because he's at fourteen point nine percent right now. Is it messing with his head? Does it make him want to post up more and not shoot as many of them? I mean, I doubt teams aren't still going to dare him to shoot them. They're going to get a late hand up, but. Yeah, that, that's a huge part of their spacing when they go small ball. Um, and I saw an interesting, I made an interesting note too about Dame Lillard. We spoke about that last week with history point shooting. It's gotten better since we spoke about it, but I watched a game a couple of nights ago and, and you could tell it was a cognizant, he, he was making a cognizant effort of, of attacking the paint and not not just taking settling for those threes. I don't know if his coaches were like, look, we know you're not shooting it well. You're actually a really good player getting in the paint. You probably settle sometimes too much for the three try to attack more and, and this game he had I think he had 20 high 20s um, or roundabouts there with two made threes which was that's mind boggling for Dame Lillard right um, he didn't take that many threes so I like the fact that he's probably aware of that he's not shooting it that well which he has been commenting on and, and has actually tried to attack the pain instead of just just trying to shoot his way out of it yeah Dame's you know one of those players it's just sort of the new age guys that that they love taking tough shots, man. Like, they love taking them. And he's a big fan of taking the big shot, the tough, contested shot. Doesn't matter if it's three or two. You know, here's a guy that's probably averaged over 10 threes a game. The last three years is probably averaging more than 10 threes attempted a game. But the guy is such a big-time chain speed, get in the paint, make a play kind of guy. And I think that you got to think of the game as efficiency. You know, like... You got to like take those, you know, early on, take those like really easy shots. I tell every player that I consult, um, take those easy shots early, get them, get it going a little bit. And then like late shot clock, like game clock, if you're going to take tough shots, take them. But don't try to have a, a steady diet of, you know, tough contested twos or threes. But I think that get into the basket, get into the free throw line, you know, again, you're talking about a guy that's been averaging about, 
I'd say 7.2 or so in the last five years attempts a game. The guy's getting to the line three times a game this year. So he needs to get to the line, get those easy baskets, transition, those, you know, those two, those dare two pull-ups when, you know, the bigs and drop and he's under the basket and you've got that patch of space. Sorry, H-Bob. You know, I know, I know it's sacrilegious for you, but like pull up from 15 feet if the big's giving it to you, you know, especially if it's going to be uncontested. So I think just do that and then sort of rev it up and then get your confidence going and then, and then rev up your threes. But Hey, look, I'm not going to tell the fucking guy how to play. He's obviously one of the best in the game, but yeah, I think that, that there's a little bit to that for sure. No doubt. It's just good to see the adjustment, but all right. Fact or fake news. What do you got? All right, folks, we talked about John Wall a little bit. Um, John Wall will be moved and not bought out this year. Fact or fake news? Wait, he'll be moved and not bought out. So, yeah, so traded. traded. So, traded by trade. Fake news. Fake news. I don't think if it was was next season where his contract's expiring, much more valuable, even if you're not, not, not getting John Wall to be a a big piece of your run. You've got a really valuable contract coming off the books. Um, this season, no. I think it's fake news. I think he's going to write it out on in Houston now. This is obviously that's why you specified not bought out. If if he he does get moved or move on, it might be a, a buyout situation. And from what we hear, they're not even exploring that at the moment because I assume Rich Paul's very hard to deal with and probably wants ninety nine point nine percent of the money. So yeah, fake news. Yeah, I mean, look, if he gets bought out, it's usually how they stretch contracts out is they double it, double the years you got left, and then they add one. So basically, if he's owed $90 million in two years, that means that, that his money will be stretched out from $44 million a year to about, for the next two years or so, it'll be stretched out to about, I'd say, $18 million a year for five years on their, on their books. So they're not going to stretch his contract out. They're going to try to buy him out for 50%, 60% and give it to him up front and say, look, we'll give you this money. You know, we'll take back 40% and then you're going to walk. He's not going to do that either. So, yeah, I, and he's got no value around the league. Look, he's not a young guy anymore. He's not, you know, this 26-year-old player, 25-year-old player. He's been through it a little bit. He's been in trouble a bunch. He's been hurt a bunch. He's got this big deal. Um, he's got two years left, you know, that like – most teams are either young guys that they're trying to get minutes and develop or they've got this team that, that, that they can make a playoff run with and they're already good with their players. And they're not going to want to bring – and plus it's going to take so much cap to get them moved. You know, A, teams don't have that cap room, so they're going to have to trade you assets that are getting $20 million a year, $15 million a year that are usually pretty good players that you probably value to get a guy that's been tough to deal with you know, since he's been in the league. So I can't see him getting traded. Um, I don't think there's any possibility of it. Although we've said that on contracts before and guys that, you know, the Westbrook contract, the Paul contract, and these contracts end up being moved anyway. So it'll be interesting. I just don't, I'd say, I'd say it's about a 99% chance he does not get traded this year. So I say fake news. All right, folks. Hey, Cle- you know, not only Washington we got to give props to, but how about fucking Cleveland, what they're doing and what J.B. Pickerstaff and those guys are doing. I mean, they're, they're, they're sitting pretty, you know, one of the top teams in the East. And it's, it's unbelievable because they've been such a cellar dweller. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Will the Cleveland Cavaliers and Washington Wizards finish in the top five? They will finish in the top five at the end of the year. Fact or fake news? 
fake news, not both. I think one of them has a chance. Um, the only reason I say that is I've got Brooklyn in there. I think Chicago will be up there. Miami will be up there. Um, I think Milwaukee's going to sneak up there. Um, once they get a bit more healthy, they've, they've had some junky lineups as a late Giannis in and out and whatnot. So I think Milwaukee will be in that top five when it's all said and done, which then knocks out one of them. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say fake news. I think one of them though, I mean, arguably you could also say they both get knocked out, but I mean, stranger things have happened. Like we said, Washington just won again. They're, they're now nine and three during recording. They beat uh, Orlando and Cleveland right now are in a tied ball game with uh, Boston. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough one, but I think I think fake news for both. Yeah, I, I assume, I, I agree. Look, we're early. They're playing great. Both teams are playing great. A lot to be said about their head coaches and what they've been doing and the players and you know, it's they've been fun to watch. I just can't see over over an eighty-two game season. You know, like you said, Milwaukee's in the shitter right now, and you don't know what's going to happen with Atlanta. Um, New York could you know sort of sneak up there a little bit. So there are teams that could sneak up. Boston's playing better, although I don't think they'll finish in the top five. You don't know what's going to happen with Philly, but they may move up a little bit depending if they're going to get anything for Simmons. Um, I probably say fake news on that, but it is pretty interesting that two teams that we figured to be cellar dwellers, not cellar dwellers, but not doing very well that they're both in the top five you know 13 14 games in so yeah i'd say fake news last but certainly not least uh the oklahoma city thunder which it looks like the 2010 oklahoma city thunder the way they're been playing lately um they will win more games than the two and 12 new orleans pelicans at the end of the year that's, fact that's, that's beyond a fact. We, we should, yeah, we should probably even change that to the Spurs will win more games than Spurs or Pelicans at this point because it's Spurs are four and eight, Pelicans two and twelve. But yeah, OKC, okay, um, I like them. I think they're young. They'll battle out some games. I don't think they'll make the playoffs. If they do, Jesus, that's a championship for them. But they're five and six currently. New Orleans are two and twelve. New Orleans just there's reports that we didn't really hit on that Zion Williamson is nowhere near return, and and a lot of it's not predicated on his injury. And his injury is not healing as well as they would have liked, but it's it's weight. He's he's just overweight and can't drop pounds. And I, and I assume his conditioning would can't really do a whole lot of heart rate conditioning because of his injury. And yeah, I mean he's yeah. What, what's a commercial? Is it is it a Mountain Dew commercial he's doing? What's he doing? Mountain Dew commercial? Yeah, yeah. He's probably him going- and Zach Levine. Probably got too many cases of those in the kitchen. <laughs> so. Hey, you think he purposely messed his lineup so he could drink that Martin Dew more during the fucking uh, during the commercial or what? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's not. It's hopefully we're spitting it out and not taking it down. But uh, I've done a few of those commercials before, and so I usually would spit it out along the way. So you're not, you know, I think I did a Powerade one once, and I was like, damn, if I drink all these bottles in the shoot, I'm gonna, you know, it's like 15 bottles of Powerade. So, but yeah, look. The- okay, so uh, fact, 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 double down, fact. I put the house on it. Normally, just it's just. Even with Zion, I, I just never, I just didn't think they were a good team. I don't think they're a good team. I love Ingram. Um, I think he's he's got the fire, passion, work ethic, and he's trying to get better as a player. But Valanciunas, his numbers are mind-boggling. But your team's two and twelve, so I don't buy too much into those numbers. But he can only play what's in front of him, and he's put some big numbers up. But yeah, I, I, and I just don't see any light in the tunnel for them. Like look at their roster, and you're like, you know. How much better can we be in two years with some draft picks and development? Probably not that much better. And it's just, uh, it's a bad situation there in New Orleans, bro. What, what do you think? Well, I should have changed the fucking question. I should have asked you, will the Vancouver Grizzlies win more games than New Orleans Pelicans? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think, I think both the San Diego Clippers and the Vancouver Grizzlies will win more the games. No, I think it's a shit show. I don't know when Zion's going to come back. I'm not a mind reader, but it's just not a good thing. Their, their team's not very good. 
And then you add him, his, his sort of shenanigans that's going on there. Oklahoma City definitely does not want to win more games. And right now, they're only four and a half out. But I just don't see, you know, what you could energize New Orleans with in their roster to sort of propel them up, you know, four games. Again, Oklahoma doesn't want to win, but I just can't see. The way they're playing and the way their coaches oh, – look, they got a better coach right now. They've got a better sort of – they got better younger players. they got better older players. Well, let me ask you this. So the New Orleans Hornets tomorrow acquire a top 25 NBA player. With that current roster, without losing anything, are they, are they playoff bound? So they- I, don't, I don't think so. It just looks janky. It's just a janky roster. It's like a rookie head coach. There's It's just – I don't know. There's something about their team I just don't like. It just does not fit at all for me. Even if you – I mean, maybe bar Kevin Durant, who'd have to average 40 or a Steph. But, I mean, geez, like who's helping them and – it's not one player. I think it's they, they need to do some massive soul searching and just blow that thing up and, and go the OKC route, I think. Yeah, and I, and the funny thing is they've been trying to do that. Like they did that before and they got the Zion and they got, you know, they got all those picks in the in the in the Anthony Davis trade and they tried to do that with their younger guys and they just couldn't do it. You know, they've been bad for a long time. You know, they've been bad for a few years now. And like where do you go from here? And again, remember there hasn't been a rookie yet that has said no to the second contract from the from the NBA team, regardless of how much of a shit show organization or situation it's been. Uh, the only guy that I remember is Porzingis, but he got traded, so it's not like he said no to New York. He just got traded. When's and, when's and Zion? Like, is it this off season? I, I he's got to be up for an extension soon. Yeah, for sure. So I'm I'll be interested because look at all the marketing money. Although, look, he's been taking a little bit of a hit this year with the injuries. Look, the guy's been hurt for three years straight. The guy's been hurt. He's had weight issues. Um, you know, he puts up great numbers, and he's a, he's a marketable kid. He's a good kid. You know, does the right things. But, like, I don't – again, I question, like, where is he in this whole ranking of things if you had to rate him as a player? And you have to put in the injuries. You have to put in um, not only the injuries but the weight. Like – he can make the money up, no doubt, with contracts and marketing and all that. But does he say no? Like I know he doesn't want to be there. He hasn't been. He hasn't wanted to be there since his rookie year. But like, does he say no and like play? You know, either forces a trade or does he say no? Becomes a um, one year place for the qualifying offer, which would be unprecedented, and then signs somewhere else. So. I don't think I don't think the New Orleans will let him do that. They'll probably deal him before that. But again, it gets tricky too because his salary is not that much. And if you're trying to get thirty or forty million dollars back of, with players, you know, because of the fact that you think he's this great player, um, it it makes him harder to trade because he only makes about I, I'm not sure what he makes. I think he makes about ten million bucks. But like with his rookie deal, but it's hard to sort of get you know get fair value back. So. It'll be interesting, sort of, see where this whole thing goes. Yeah, and you can't, you can't, you can't sign a traded extension either. So they can't, they can't agree to a deal and then have it in principle going somewhere else. You know, because a lot could happen between the extension and when they want to move him. So yeah, I, I think New Orleans is in a tough spot because I think knowing that he doesn't want to be there, even if they put that contract down and he signs it and then be the shithead and eats his way out of there, whatever he does, it's like why not just try to move him now, you know, a three or four team deal, get back some max guys or absorb some salary, you know. So, yeah, it's a tough one. It's They're in a tough spot, you know, and, and like you said, they have done the rebuild. They just happen to draft a guy, you know, that 
didn't want to be there from day one is probably not the best situation. But we'll watch that space closely. All right, I wanted to finish with story time around the Rudy Gobert comments with NBA altercations. And he made some comments saying that no one's really about that life. It's all for show. I agree. It is. Look, I got into a lot of altercations. I never threatened guys after, you know, I'll see you at the bus after. And I got in some big ones too, some real heated ones. I had people threaten me all the time. Like, you know, I mean, I'll see you after. I'm like, okay, cool, come, whatever. Like, if you want to do that. Because, you know, you just knew you just knew it wasn't going to happen. And I guess I'd heard it so many times. We've spoken about the Trevor Reza Salah measuring instance, um, which we were both part of. And that was, you know, 10, 15 podcasts back. So circle back if you want to hear that one. Won't bore our listeners again with that. But when I knew, you know, what really solidified all this for me was the infamous Golden State Warriors versus LA Clippers playoff series right during the Donald Sterling debacle. So he got he got turfed halfway through our playoff series. Steph and Chris Paul were in the State Farm commercial. So there was a rivalry brewing there. They they marketed Steph as what was Cliff Paul, whatever the hell the name was in the marketing ad for State Farm Insurance. So it was Cliff Paul and they marketed Steph as the little brother or whatever. So Chris Paul thought that was real life, always treated Steph as his little brother. The Clippers were always, the Warriors were the whipping boy of the Clippers. So we played in this playoff series. We're getting better. Clay's getting better. Everyone's getting better. And we ended up going seven games and losing to them. And there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of animosity, a lot of passion, which is what you want in that series. And then top top that off with the Sterling bullshit. So a really emotional series, right? We, we get to game seven, which is in LA. We lose game seven. It's back and forth. And it's that infamous tunnel with the uh, Staples Center that the, was it the Rockets and, and Clippers or whoever it was back then? Oh, yeah, with, with Austin Rivers, right. Yeah, so there's tunnels in Staples, like the Lakers locker rooms right near the Clippers, and then the, Cl- the Clippers is kind of at the back, which is behind the visiting locker room. If you walk through the back door of that, it goes to this little hallway at the back that goes into like the Clippers locker room, and that's behind the main the main tunnel of the arena where, where the public is, right? So we get back into the locker room. It's dead quiet. Like we're, we're all pissed off, right? And Mark Jackson's kind of given a soft-spoken end-of-season address. You should be proud of yourself. Like, it was just real quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And Chris Paul comes to the back of the tunnel. Like he walks specifically to come through the back, so he's walking past the locker, our locker room. Um, he didn't have to go that way, but he did. So we had some hotheads on the team at that time. We had Steve Blake, we had Jermaine O'Neal, whatever, 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 right? So we're sitting there and you just hear Chris Paul after they've just beaten us, 4-3. It's mighty quiet in that locker room now. I don't hear anything now. I don't hear any chirping and talking. It's mighty, mighty quiet in that locker room now, hey? And just kept, kept saying it, kept saying it, kept saying it. And we're just like, like, dude, you just beat us. Like, you don't need to rub our face in it, right? So I look over and Steve Blake is like sitting in his chair. He's like rocking back and forth listening to this with his like fists balled up. And for those that don't know Steve Blake, he's got a real mean, angry streak. Like, I'm talking like, like goes black and punching walls, like whatever, right? When he gets real pissed off. So he's, I'm like, oh, like something's going to happen. So halfway through Mark Jackson's speech, he's like, nah, I've heard enough of this shit. He gets up, bolts to the door at the back of that tunnel. He goes to their kind of, the back door of their locker room now and bangs on it and says like, you know, where's CP at? Who's saying that? Where's CP at? Come here. So there's a few of the Clippers back there and they're ready to go with Steve Blake. So then it ends up being that our whole team ends up in this tight little, this hallway, by the way, is like maybe two to three, three feet, four feet wide. Like it's not a, it's not a big hallway, right? It's just, a, it's kind of an escape tunnel for fire and they use it to do things behind the scenes, right? So our whole team then shuffles into this back area. Their whole team is in that little area. There's like 
25, 30 grown men in this little tunnel area and it's like going back and forth. Then Chris Paul, of course, walks in. Oh, what happened? Who said what? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, uh, all right, mate, like whatever. So then there starts to be some back and forth and it's like no security there, pro, because no security even knew what was going on because it was behind the scenes. No, no one knew about it. No punches thrown, nothing happened. And this was the one opportune time where there's no cameras, there's nothing going on. So, and this isn't, I'm not knocking you the players. I'm just saying a lot of it is bravado. A lot of it is show. There was a bit of a push and shove between, I think, Jermaine O'Neal and Gwen Big Baby Davis at the time. Some yelling and screaming and then everything calmed down and then we're back to the locker room. So, my point being, if there was ever an opportunity to be about that life, quote unquote, that was it. No cameras, no security, and nothing happened. After that, I knew I'm like, look, this, you know, things get emotional, gets physical, hard foul, but nothing's generally going to happen after the game because there's just too much at stake. There's too much at stake. Guys don't want to fight at the end of the day, no matter how emotional it gets. We've seen that now also, which we forgot to mention, is the Jokic and um, Morris, you know, uh, debacle from from a week or so ago with the hard foul and, uh, you know, the whole Miami Heat team then saying, we're going to see you in the tunnel afterwards. It's like, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, especially when you voice that on camera, pro. I'm going to see you in the tunnel after the game. Meet me outside. What do you think is going to happen? The arena is going to be on high alert. The NBA is going to have 5,000 security guards between the buses and the cars. You're not going to get within an iota. So point being, it's all posturing. The lights are on. It's kind of like the mic'd up situation when guys are mic'd up, they act differently. But um, just a prime example of when there was an opportunity to be about that life, no one was about that life. Everyone drove home unscathed and, and we got on with life, bro. Yeah, you know, look, these guys aren't fighters these days. I mean, there's about 10 fighters in the whole fucking league, maybe 20. You know, so like... Yeah, I mean, they're not. But, like, look, they all want to be, you know, they all want to talk about it. It is what it is. Hey, there's a great – did you ever see that Steve Blake video of him in college? Yeah, Juan, Di- Juan Dixon, right? No, it wasn't Juan Dixon. It was this guy named Jason Gilchrist. Oh, I watched Jason Gilchrist. Yeah, uh, yeah he played in Australia yeah, for a year. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, they were playing in John summer. Gilchrist, you know, right? sum- John Gilchrist, John Gilchrist, yeah. So, they were playing in summer and fucking – it was, like, a hard foul. And fucking – Steve Blake has, like, one of the quickest hands I've ever seen. He fucking hits him with, like, two shots. And he, Gilchrist didn't know what the fuck hit him. <laughs> and um, it was great. Like, I, I know Blake. I, I've worked with Steve since he's been in high school. And, um, you know, at the Nike stuff in the summertime. Tough kid. I, I know his high school coach really well, Frank Martin, who's a head coach of South Carolina. Um, tough fucking kid. Yeah, I wouldn't want to fuck with him. But it just is what it is. I haven't really been around a lot of fights in the NBA. The whole Jokic thing is just funny to me just because, like, like, we're, we're having this debate, and this guy gets fucking cheap-shotted, and he fucking retaliates, and everybody wants to give him shit because he wasn't looking. And he gets a suspension, too. Yeah, and he gets a suspension. It's like, look, like, we've we've seen a thousand of these wrap-up fouls. Look, they grab your arm, they wrap you up. Like, the guy literally hit him in the fucking chest with his elbow. What do you expect was going to happen? Not only you that, expect- if you watch a replay, he actually need, need him first. Like, Charlie horses oh, shit out of his quad. If you watch a replay yeah. from the other angle, need him, like stuck his knee out, need him in the quad and then collected his whole hip. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for the ramific- like the, the retaliation. Like you should never penalize the retaliation more than the – and you know what's, what pisses me off about this, pro? So for those who are on YouTube, um, I was in a scuffle with the Portland Trailblazers one night and I um, – Oh, really? Yeah, I got I, I went to box Joel Freeland out and he, he basically, as I turned to – I put my arm out to box him out, turned to the ball – he grabbed the arm that I put out and had it stuck behind my back like a police hold kind of like 
you know, I had my, my knuckles were kind of down the bottom near my, kind of near the bottom of my back and my arm was crossed and like had me like almost a jujitsu hold. So I turned around with him still holding me and I went to throw him off me and I act like slightly grazed the bottom of his chin, was actually going for his chest. So it started like this massive all in, right? So I got suspended for a game and they told me that the reason why we suspended you is because you instigated the whole all in because there was some crazy shit that went on. Like someone, Mo Williams came, uh, LaMarcus and Mo both swung at me, missed. I had them in a chokehold. Then um, someone ran at the front of our bench from Portland. Jermaine O'Neill was in street clothes and like choke, tried to choke them out. So then all this worse shit happened, right? Mine should have been a flagrant at best, right? But their whole reasoning was we're giving you a suspension because you instigated everything else that happened after that. I'm like, that's bullshit. That's not my fault. Like I was, I was in a, you know, a jujitsu hold and I pushed him off me. Why am I getting suspended and no one else is? Like, so you're telling me they could have just picked up a chair from the crowd and smacked it on someone's head, but it's Bogut's fault for starting it anyway. But now they're like, okay, yeah, Morris, he instigated it all, but Jokic's reaction was well. I'm like, it's so double standards. So, but yeah, man, like you're right. It's just, I think Jokic was in his in the right kind of it was right what he did like you gotta you gotta stand up and defend yourself if he didn't if he wouldn't have done that guess what would happen whenever he's having a nice game or a hot game someone would have messed with him and that's a line in the sand moment Jokic is a hothead in himself like he's quiet and soft-spoken but he has he has that we've seen him get ejected from games for doing crazy shit throwing the ball in the stands but to your point i agree with you totally like if if you're gonna give Jokic a game you give morris a game yeah i mean look these guys are basketball players they're not fucking mma guys they're not they're not fighters. Yeah, they might train and do all that stuff in the summer, and some a lot of them train, but they don't want to fight. D. Will like, is. They know. Yeah, he is. Hey, I'll give you it. I'll he's give got it a fight coming up. Yeah, shout out to. Yeah, he's gonna fight a football player, right? Yeah, Darren Williams. He like it's Darren Williams, not Daron. Um, even though it's yeah, not, he has a line to be yeah, Daron. Yeah, Darren Williams. Yeah, he was. He was actually. <laughs> you remember when he was? Uh, he was training for MMA while he was contracted with the Mavs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he actually. I think he has a gym in Dallas, actually, an MMA gym that he opened up. But do you remember he used to come to like a few times? He had an injury, and they're like, "How did you do this?" He's like, "Oh, oh I must have done it at practice yesterday." And they're like, "Dude, you have like a <laughs> like." You really did it at practice? Or did you go, would you go do some MMA shit? He's like, nah, nah, basketball practice. <laughs> it's like clear as day. He's got like scuffs and scratches and bruise marks on him because he was training because he, he loved it. He was That was like his outlet mentally. That and golf. Yeah, that yeah. and golf. But shout out to him. He's got a big fight coming up, so I'm interested to watch that. So there are some NBA fighters. It'd be about the same equivalent, you know, 99.099% of, of catching COVID and ended up in hospital. But Folks, all out battle royal, 510 players. Who's the last guy coming out? Today's players? Yes, today's players. 510 in the ring. Who's coming out? Who's coming out of the closet at 500? Out of the, who's who's going to be the tough guy out of the closet oh, wow. or out of the, the ring? Well, I got one guy. Well, James Johnson apparently is okay. trained MMA, is it? Or kickboxing for his father? Yeah, like, uh, like kick, kickboxing. Black one belt, of those. Right? Yeah, I wouldn't fuck him. Yep. He'd be, he'd be one I'd have up there. And, and he's not a small man by any means. It's not like a point guard no. that knows MMA. He's like, no. he's good six seven six eight and like thick. He'd be yep. up there. Udonis Haslam gets a pretty big rap as, as being a big tough guy, but I've, I haven't seen a whole lot of fights with him, but I, I think some players behind the scenes would know more than that. But I mean, James Johnson would for me be anyone that's got a black belt in anything I'm kind of at arm's length with. And anyone that has a black belt or is a trained fighter, if, if I get in a fight with them, I'm grappling as soon as I can. Like I'm hugging. I'm, I'm trying to like, <laughs> I'm not giving that dude. Yeah. If I ever fight people that I know, I'll probably get my ass kicked in. My whole strategy is just wrap up and choke hold and just like do not let them swing or, you know what I'm saying? Like, because that's when, unless yeah. they, unless they're an MMA grapple expert, then you're fucked. Then you, you're just walking into a problem. But Oh, yeah, you're fucked. Um, who you got? 
Stephen Adams. Yeah, I think Stephen though. I think he's a big, he's big, tough, and he's just man strong, right? Like he's non weight room strong. He's just a big dude. But I don't know if he's he's actually going to swing. I don't think he's a. I'm going to swing, 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 and take you out. I'll tell you what, though, he will take a punch because that guy's fucking in the nuts. He's too. like he's been hitting the nuts yeah, like ten he, times in his career. If he wants to have kids, good luck. But I mean, he's been, yeah, his nuts have been battered. He's in impe- he's impenetrable. That fucking guy. So that's the guy I'm taking just because he's such a fucking tough dude. But uh, yeah, there's not many fighters, man. Oh, look, they're NBA guys. So look, they, you know, it's too much like, money, bro. You swing if you yeah. swing and miss with a punch. You swing and miss. It's twenty five to fifty k. You, yeah. And you don't touch, you hit air. It's 25 or 50K. So, yeah. you know, God forbid you connect and knock. Imagine you knock someone. Imagine the Rudy Tomjanovic punch from, from back in the Oof. day. Um, who was the, that? 10 Kurt, year suspension. Who hit him, was it? Um, um, the referee, um, Rudy Wa- Washington? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Some, something Washington. Something Washington. Yeah, he he yeah. basically king hit Rudy back in the day, like blindside king the fuck out of him. Knocked oh, him. collapse his face. But, collapse his face. Someone did that today. What are you getting? More than a season? 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'll yeah. see you in 10 years. I'll see you in 10 years. Whereas I'll retire. Yeah. It's, you know how the NBA guys are. They know they're going to be held back by five guys. You know, like they know that it's never going to come to that. And it's more the theatrics of like, I'll see you in the tunnel, all that stuff, you know? So I like what Jokic did when he did it. He just went and sat down. <laughs> oh. He like just went and, and sat on the bench, just like, ah, oh, whatever. Did you see the brothers? They're going to, they, they, the brothers are going to go to, uh, they bought tickets to the Miami game. Yeah. They're going to go that. see they, them. They are, uh, look, People might think that's theatrics because they're tattooed up and they got the chains and they 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 would be as close to about that life as you can get in the NBA realms. They um they used to play professionally in Serbia and one of them played with a with a friend of mine actually was a former teammate and he was like dude, this dude would like start a fight every other game like and want to want to like follow it up like was like re- swinging like in the middle of games like those guys are about that and they from what I understand Jokic is the soft spoken quiet most talented guy in their family. So they double down on protecting him. So yeah, it is interesting. There's no way the NBA will let him sit courtside though, is there? No, no, probably not. I, I did hear this from a former player that was in Denver and that played, played with Dallas and said, Mike, you'd never fucking believe this guy. I said, I, I said, hey, who the fuck is that guy across the court? Because like Dirk hit Jokic hard. You know, it was one of those like, you know, Dirk, he's not going to hit anybody on purpose. But it was like in the game, hard foul. And this guy like almost came on the court. Like this big tattooed up Ivan Drago looking like motherfucker. I'm like, who is that? He goes, dude, that's Jokic's brother. Now, I don't know if this is accurate what he told me, but he told me he was special forces in like Serbia or something, right? And he said that they've had they had to move him like four times during that year because he tried to get on the court to attack players and referees on a hard foul on his brother. And every day, like, I, and I would tap Dirk the whole fucking game with the dirty, and dirty, this guy's eyeballing it. He's gonna fuck you up. Like, <laughs> it, it, it was funny. Like, it, it's you know, I was joking, but like, like every game we played, that he was there, same seat. Like center court, um, maybe ten rows up on the aisle in this big, scary fucking Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger motherfucker, just big and strong. And I watched him more than I watched the fucking game because I just wanted to see if he was going to attack. But they had to like move him like three times because of the fact that they thought he was going to come on the court. So interesting fact. Yeah, I, I think they're about that life. So I think I think the Jokic brothers are what the Morris brothers want to be. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and the Morris brothers are tough guys. They're, yeah, they are. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, not that tough, but like not not Jokic I really tough. Think those, those, yeah, I've heard stories about those Jokic brothers, and 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 that's that's a whole different realm of of being involved in actual wars. You know, not just not just talking about it or wars in the streets. This is actual wars. So, um, right. it would be an interesting fight. But anyway, that wraps up episode forty. What are we? 41, 42, 43? Losing count, pro. I think it's 42, folks. It is 42. Everything's on call-in for our Q&A, so check that out. Appreciate everyone's support um, at Hoop Consultants for Mike and some basketball tips along the way and some scouting. If you need it, reach out there at Rogue Bogues on all the social media platforms and all your good podcast people. Thanks, Pro. We'll see you next week. Folks, see you later, brother.